Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Born to Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marsha Witeka. Conversations plus connections equals community. Those are my three C's. The heart of my show is what's your story? It's my belief we all have stories. Some are similar, others are uniquely different. Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Well, happy first day of fall, everybody. And this is what I got on the news today. We will have 12 hours of sunlight and we will have 12 hours of darkness. I didn't know that, but that's, that's a friendly fact for you today. But today we're going to focus on my guest. And my guest today is Sharon Pearson. She is a six-time best-selling author. She's all the way from Melbourne, Australia. But right now she's in the U.S. on this world tour for her new book, The Ultimate You. And she's also the founder of the Coaching Institute. And so, I'm going to right, and so much more. Welcome to the show, Sharon. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here. I'm just so happy to make this connection. Me as well. And there you are in New York, and here I am <laughs> in Los Angeles. And that is the beauty of the podcast, isn't it? Because we will be talking about that towards the end of the show because you too are a podcaster. And social media and connecting to people, to me, is a lifeline. And it's kind of ironic because that's a lot about what we will be taking, we will be speaking about today, if I can get those words out of my mouth. And I, it's very relevant to what to my life. But I think what would be great for our listeners to know that may not know you, Sharon, is that you really have quite an amazing backstory. And I think it would be important for people to know that about you because I think it explains your your passage and your journey into life. So would you like to just share some of those stories with us right now? Yeah, sure. Thank you. It, whilst I'm pushing the half century, <laughs> it took me a long time to learn to live. And there would have been two decades there that I lost in not knowing how to live a functional life. And I was aware that I was making myself miserable, which is so sad. And I felt shame that I was making myself so miserable with my negative self-talk, with the choices that I made, with how small I played this wonderful game of life. I retreated from life as time went past. By the time I was 37, I was pretty well preferring to stay in my home. I was very depressed. I was making myself sick and miserable. I was only had negative thoughts about everybody around me. It was so sad. I would meet people to attempt to work out how they had a flaw so I didn't have to feel too bad about my flaws. And then I got to go home and feel ashamed of myself because I didn't know how to make a a, a beautiful connection. And it got so bad for me at the age of 37, I was seriously contemplating suicide. And I'm not suggesting that it's ever a good choice ever. But that's where I got myself to, where the thought of living was so painful and hurt me so much. Every day getting out of bed, I would just lay in bed thinking, what is the point? 
because of what I had done to myself, the choices, the poor choices I'd made over the years to get to the stage where the very thought of having a day was completely overwhelming to me. And there was this one day I was in my lounge room and I stood there and I say this like I'm speaking about another person and I stood frozen with fear for one hour. I couldn't move, Masha. If I went forward, literally and metaphorically, if I moved forward, I'd fail. If I moved towards the kitchen, I couldn't make myself a cup of tea. I'd, it wouldn't matter. No one would care. If I moved to my right, I'd get judged or mocked. And if I moved to my left, I, somehow I'd become invisible. So I stood for an hour and I knew it was a metaphor for my life that I'd made my comfort zone so small that I was becoming invisible and I couldn't move. And as I stood wow. there, and this really was more than an hour, unable to move, it occurred to me, there are, I remember this, there are people in the world right now who have had shocking upbringings and they are living lives of grace. Now, I, I had a normal upbringing, Marsha. There, there were some remarkable uh, traumas along the way, but nothing compared to the people I was thinking of who are living these beautiful lives of grace and of generosity of, and living from a servant's heart. And here I am, unable to concentrate on how to help myself. So one question came to mind, how did they do that? I'm 37 years old and I've learned how to make, I have succeeded at making myself miserable. I am a great success at misery. That is what I have done. <laughs> and as I'm speaking with you, you I'm pointing like it's making a difference. <laughs> yeah. But you must have felt some fear. Did you feel fear? Completely. It overwhelmed me. That I had allowed I my bet. negative self-talk to run my entire life. Wow. Everything. Hmm. So I laid there. I stood there for ages. And one question, how are they doing it? And then it occurred to me, I've spent 37 years learning how to be miserable. And I'm an expert at it. Ask me anything. And I can get someone. I could, I could teach misery. What if I spent the next 37 years learning how to be joyful and to live with some grace? And in that moment, I had no idea how to do it. I did not know one single thing I was going to do next. But I committed in that moment to, if I'm going to have the 37 years, hopefully, I, I may as well invest in making them as extraordinary as I can. And that turned, that was the turning point, for, thank goodness, for the rest of my life. And that was 17 years ago. That's, that's really, that's really inspiring because you can speak from personal misery. As you said, you could write that book. And mm -hmm. yet, however, and we'll be talking about this, you, you, you changed the switch. We're going to be talking about self-talk. We're going to be talking about being our own worst critic and judgment and forgiveness because all of those things, I think, are so vital in living as healthy as we can live. We all have issues. There isn't anybody listening, myself included, that, that doesn't have issues that we want to work on to have 
um, a joyful life. There, there's no doubt about that. But what I'm curious to know, so there you were, you had that moment frozen in time. I mean, it's just that I, I'm thinking of that song, one moment in time. There you were in mm. your one moment in time. Mm. Did you seek? I mean, really, that song just comes to me. So there you were frozen. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I can, I can, I can feel it and I can visualize it. Did you seek help once you realized you wanted to flip that switch? That would have been a very sensible thing to do. <laughs> well, I was so captured in my shame and so ashamed. And I know I'm not alone when I share this story. I know mm-hmm. there are so many people who are hearing this going, can't get I can't get help because I'm too ashamed because if I admit I've been doing it wrong I'll be judged again because I was so convinced I convinced myself that my shame to be ashamed was real that I should be ashamed of myself that I should mm-hmm. feel shame for being me so to get help would have meant I admit my shamefulness so it made much more sense which is the weirdest sense possible to stay under the radar and not let anyone know. And I have no regrets about that decision because I guided myself out and now I know what I'm capable of. So it served me to do it the way I did it. And looking back now, I can see how I did it was beautiful for me and was right for me to heal myself. But, of course, getting help would have been probably exhilarating what I experienced. But for me, that one moment was enough. And the rebuild that I did has, trans- has helped so many people transform their lives because I can take what I did and, and I'm using it and utilizing it to share with my clients and our students all around the world. And they're utilizing it for themselves as well. Beautiful. So what came next? What what was the next thing? Is was there a next was there a next step before we're going to talk about your coaching institute? Mm. Um, was mm. there a space in between there? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I be, to jump forward a little bit, then I'll come back to what I did. I became a coach to be my own client. So coaching to me was <gasps> never going to be what I did to help someone else. I was my first client, and that was perfect for me. Before that, I stood there, made this commitment. Okay, so for 37 years, I've learned to really feel dreadful. Let's learn how to feel wonderful. So the first thing I did was committed. If I don't have something kind to say out loud, I can't speak. I can't say it. If it wasn't, so if I was going to complain about someone, I couldn't say it. If I was going to complain about my day again, I couldn't say it. If I was going to complain about how someone else was to blame, I couldn't do it. And I committed to not speak out loud of how others or something else was responsible for where I was at. And that meant, (laughs) Marsha, I had a very quiet six months because (laughs) I had trained my mind to just be negative all the time. And I committed for, for as long as it takes, I'll speak when it serves. So pretty well I didn't speak for a few months. And I found that very sad 
and very telling. And it began to make a lot of sense as to how I got myself into the rut I dug for myself. And the second thing I did was I decided I had to get my mind working for me and not against me. So I began an interrupting technique for myself. So I could lay in bed, Marsha, for two to five hours when I'm meant to be asleep and and catastrophize. So back then I could lay in bed, go to bed at 10 10 p.m. And at 3 a.m. I would still be imagining fearful scenarios of me failing and of me being judged. I could do it for hours. And yeah, I made a commitment. Okay, well, clearly this is only making me miserable. I, every time I realized I was catastrophizing, catastrophizing sorry, or magnifying the worst of a situation that hadn't even happened, I would have to interrupt myself and say, enough, think of something good. And I didn't know at the time that studies show that's a really good technique. All I knew was I had to stop the misery. And, Basha, there's one night I remember. So I made this commitment. I catastrophized for two hours before I remembered I was meant to interrupt myself. <laughs> oh, man. You know, I, I love this story. And I, this show is about you but it's also about us. And I can remember a moment in my time where I stood in front of a mirror looking at myself. And instead of judging what was wrong, said to myself, Marsha, you are going to be okay. You are a good person. Or whatever those positive things that you needed to say to yourself because I live alone. And I talk out loud a lot, and I am working very hard at being less critical, less judgmental, and more positive and self-loving. And I know that that's what we're going to be talking about. And when, you, when you've talked about how you came, that you became your first client, mm. I, I just think that that just is beautiful and makes so much sense probably to anybody that's had a struggle, whether it's a life struggle. I became an instant widow. That's what happened to me. I became an instant widow. It's like, oh, my God, what does somebody do after something like that happens? You, mm. you, I didn't, wasn't prepared for it. So we all have these life challenges, and you, whatever was building up inside you for those 37 years has sounds to be certainly released so that you can do your best work. And that means let's talk about how you became the founder and the owner of the Coaching (laughs) Institute, which I understand is the number one coaching school in the world. Congratulations. If we had people clapping in an audience, we'd be clapping right now. So let's talk about (laughs) – seriously, I mean, that's just fabulous. Let's talk about your institute and – and you know, and, and you know what? I even want to go to one place before we do that because you had mentioned um, that you became your own coach. I mm. think it would be really helpful for people to know the definition of what a life coach is because not everybody maybe maybe they've heard of a psychiatrist or maybe they've heard of a psychologist, maybe they've gone to their minister. But what I'd like to know is, could you just define what it means to be a life coach? 
Thank you. Yes. So life coaching to us and the way we teach it is to guide our clients to being their ultimate selves, their very best selves. And so it's the old definition of coaching and that's very, um, people are very familiar with is life coaching is helping a client get from where they are to the goal they want to achieve. That's not what we teach. We believe coaching goes beyond goal setting and a lot of it isn't goal setting. A lot of it is helping the client tap into, reclaim and magnify the very best of themselves. And that's what we do at the Coaching Institute, help clients be all they can be. Gosh, that's, that's, that is so clear. So with that in mind, Tell me about tell me about your institute because I I believe you started in Melbourne. Is that right? Is that where you started? Yes. Yeah, we started in Melbourne. Okay. We're in eighty one countries now. That's where we have our clients around the world, which is wonderful. And we've uh, attracted a lot more clients over this last weekend here in New York, which has been fantastic. I've met lots of wonderful students here, and we're expanding more and more into the states. Uh, which is wonderful. We're having a great time. It began um, when I became my first client. I trained to be a coach many years ago. I wanted to learn the skills of self-reclamation. I didn't have any skills for turning my, my mind around, so I just wanted to learn, well, how do you learn to think more positively? How do I turn off the gremlin in my head that says I'm not worth it and I'm not okay? How do I have a day where I feel that it was worthwhile and do I dare even contemplate having a life that feels fulfilling? So coaching to me was the pathway towards learning those skills, which were fundamental, I believe, to our existence, but most of us aren't taught. So it made very good sense to me. Okay, I'll just, I don't know the skills for living a great life. I'll learn the skills. And that's what I did. As a result of that, I worked with, Marsha, I worked with my very first client because I didn't work with paying clients in the beginning. I certainly didn't feel I should be charging. But I worked with clients for free for a little while. And my first client was uh, losing custody of her children. Her husband was um, being the big shot and taking over. She had no self-esteem. She was losing herself. And my coaching session wasn't brilliant, but I helped her come to the decision she should get a haircut. And I went away so devastated that such a rubbish session and all I got out of it, oh, I was so down on myself. This is what happened. She went and got the haircut to feel good about herself. And the lady there heard her story and did her makeup for her. As a result of that, a friend of hers lent her a suit and she felt so much grace from having so much support from me and these people around, these women around her, she went in and was able to work with a lawyer who helped her retain shared custody of her children. So this one little decision created this massive domino effect. Because of that, she ended up getting a job with the lawyer and was able to maintain the responsibilities she needed to have. So from one coaching session where I thought I'd done terribly, this client transformed her life. And I never again underestimated the impact of the smallest step and the difference it can make. Gosh. That, that's a tremendous story. And that is a gift. She, she had to put herself in your presence. 
She wouldn't have gotten Mm -hmm. the message had she not been with you. But getting a haircut, um, the the metaphor for all of that, of cutting Mm -hmm. hair and removing this, and and then for the for part two, well, let's do your makeup, and now you have some confidence, and now you think, well, I, I that is that is a fabulous story, and I I wonder. Just out of curiosity, do you have any idea where that woman is today? Do you happen to know? <laughs> I wish I did. My second, oh, my, don't my you? first, no, I don't. My first paying client, I do know her story. She paid me a hundred dollars. It was her last hundred dollars. We were together for two hours. She was about to lose her car and her house. And as a result of the coaching session, the one question I asked her that made the difference, which was, can you have spirituality and financial abundance? At the same time, she went away and got filled up her client list, which was dog walking, saved her house, saved her car, and within five months had bought the neighbor's house as an investment. Five years after that, trained with us to become a coach and now works as a coach. That's, that's wonderful. It's just amazing. It's the best. So that's where the Coaching Institute began with me learning to serve with humility and it took about three to four months Masha for me to realize I am worth it I it it came because I served it didn't come because I tried to solve the problems I thought I had I wasn't fixing myself coaching was the pathway for me to learn to give and through service and through humility and through giving to others my self-esteem restored and I grew into the belief, I'm enough, I'm worthy, I, I, I deserve, I, I can handle it. From there, my client list, this is the extraordinary, another extraordinary piece. That moment when it changed for me internally, my outside world transformed. And within a very short period of time, I had 50 clients on the waiting list. And I couldn't keep up with demand. And within... This is remarkable. Within just 12 short months, I'd started the Coaching Institute and I had a waiting list of people wanting to train with me, all because I did that first free coaching session and began to realize the smallest step is the most significant step. That, I, I, don't, I don't often become speechless, but I am just <laughs> Thank um, you. taken by what you said, and I'm looking at, oh, I'm, uh, I will make sure that everybody knows how to reach you, but I'm, I'm looking at your website, and I'm looking at your mission statement, and I'd like to read what it says about you because I just think that it's, it's so great. It says, live your dream. Do it your way. Do it because you care about yourself. Do because playing life at half speed and half effort makes simply no sense. Do it because one day you will be looking back and taking stock of how you lived and you really want that to be a wonderful reflection. That is, that is just phenomenal. And while, you know, it's, you know, that just do it, you know, that, that Nike or whatever it is, I know that people can say that, but sometimes just taking, as you said, that so beautifully, 
that frozen in time moment, I'm sure you will never forget. But what mm-hmm. you did from that point forward is just the hope that you must give to so many people must just fill your heart with joy. And to think that, I think I read somewhere where there's like, I don't know, well over 7,000 people that, that, that have become coaches for you. And I'm sure that number has grown significantly um, on this tour that you are on because mm. people, people gravitate. I think, you know, maybe you would agree with me. I think that there are so many people that want to be of service, that want to help humankind, that meet somebody and say, oh, let me get the door for you. Or I can see you're trying to back out of this parking space. There's no way if you're not going to turn your wheel, you're going to have a problem. Hang on. Let me just put my purse down for a second. Okay, come this way. Okay, go forward. Go backwards. Go forward. There are so many ways just in the simple everyday living. I've never met a stranger. I'm certain you've never met a stranger where we can Mm. give of ourselves and you don't know just like getting a haircut okay that was that was a that was an instructive piece of information but you never know when that smile that how are you today you don't know what that person might be going to you not might not even know this person you may never know what that means to somebody but to be able to do that and for you to actually train people to do that that's 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 to be commended and i want people to know and i i will make sure that all of this is written um in my follow-up blog that will go all over my social media if people simply go to the coaching au for australia they will be able to get to your page and i will make certain that um that, that, that I will have that in writing and linked to two people to do that. What, what Why I'm don't we do this, Marsha? If, if your that? listeners do that and they let us know with a note or a message that they came as a result of hearing your show, we'll make sure we give them a beautiful gift, a, a little online course on how to be their best selves or something like that. Just let us know that you've been on Marsha's, you heard this on Marsha's show, and we'll take care of your listeners. What a beautiful gift. Thank you. That's lovely. Thank you. Thank you. I have sort of a specific question because I don't know the answer to this. When somebody is training to be a life coach, about how long does that take to get, do you get a certification? How long, what is that process? Mm, I, it can take part-time. I believe no one should do less than 12 months. That's what I believe. I don't believe in weekend courses to become a coach. I don't believe in short courses. Um, I think the best way to learn to get to a stage where you feel confident as a coach, confident as a coach, and capable of serving, 12 months part-time, I would say, is the minimum. And by part-time, I mean around 5, 10, 15 hours every week with time off for holidays, et cetera. Because what I believe is working the best, and I've tried all the different ways over 17 years, is learn a little, go practice it, come back and talk with us about how it went, get a bit of supervision to improve it, learn another little thing, 
and build on the competencies like a Russian little Russian uh, doll, you know, the dolls that sit within each other. One little skill yes, leads to another dolls. skill. Yep, mm-hmm. leads to another skill. And I think that's how we grow because coaching really is personal leadership. It's our ability to command our minds in such a way that we can be our best selves in moments of stress, challenge, or setback. To be an effective coach, we must be able to walk our talk that a setback isn't setting us back. It is allowing us to regroup, reframe, and move forward. That our challenges become the stepping stones for the person we were meant to be. To be an effective coach is to be an effective human being. And so that takes time. I haven't known anyone to fall in love with themselves with a six-hour course. They certainly start taking the first steps. There's a process we need to go through of reconditioning our minds and undoing some of the patterns we've convinced ourselves are true. And simple neural, the plasticity of the brain tells us this is possible, but it takes time. So in the beginning, if you've got a negative self-thought and you're becoming a coach and your self-talk is, I'm not good enough, and that's what you've done for years, that'll be a three-lane highway in your brain. Neurologically, that'll be well-established. It'll have trucks running on it. Like The brain is really familiar with you beating yourself up that way. Then we've got to train our minds to be an effective coach to believe I'm capable, I'm enough, I can handle it. And that starts out in the beginning. It's just a little back lane in the, in the forest and it can barely be found and it shrivels up and disappears. And then we do it again another day and it becomes a little bit more familiar and some of the grass gets beaten down. We do it over enough weeks and months, eventually it will replace the three-lane highway. And there are studies showing, literally, neuroplasticity studies show we can shrivel up the three-lane highway that beat up on ourselves and we can build these new beautiful pathways of grace and self-love and kindness for self. It just takes time. So until that's done, I don't know how effective we can be in terms of serving others. And I believe giving at that time is giving ourselves the worthy pursuit to reclaim ourselves and I'd give that 12 months that that makes that makes sense I I I would I would agree if you're rushing through it too quickly you're probably stepping over stones that needed to be turned over and yep you 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 need you need to complete it to be able to deliver it and that that makes yes. it, that makes total that makes total sense Total, and the other sense. beautiful thing about the journey is a coaching skill, if you're practicing with a school that has you practice the skill with others and has other coaches practice the skill with you, it's a personal reflection. The whole coaching journey is a perfect mirror of how you're traveling through life. So if you come to a coaching skill, well, how do I help a client surmount a fear? That's sitting with me personally. I must move through how to overcome this fear. And that's a beautiful gift I can give myself. And then as we raise our awareness, I call it the three A's, we raise our awareness of what it is we need to transform within ourselves. We then accept we need to transform rather than deny it or blame others for it. And then we're going to activate by making a new choice. Those three steps need to be 
happening constantly like a spiral. So we start with, I'm going to overcome a fear. I need to be aware of the fear. I need to have acceptance that I'm sitting in this fear and it's preventing me acting. And then step three, okay, given I am aware and I'm accepting it, it's one little thing that would perhaps enable me to experience this reality moment a little differently. And we just do that little thing. Now that will give us and present us with a new horizon line because we'll now be standing upon a different truth. Let's start again. What am I now aware of? What can I accept about myself in this moment, which is to undo the shame that we do to ourselves given I'm accepting that about myself, then I feel that. What is it I can step into in this moment that will allow me to experience a slightly different reality? And we do that over and over and over again with volition. And slowly that heads the trajectory of our life in a a direction that we value and is an expression of our own grace. So did I understand you to say that that there are three A's Awareness, acceptance, mm. and activate. Did I get that yes. or did I miss something? Yes. Okay, that's it. perfect. That's, that, that's, it. Yeah. that's perfect. All yeah. right. Well, speaking speaking of all that you do, and I, I honestly, I, I we could probably talk for a couple of hours, but I know you have things to do. <laughs> I'd like to really, I mean, I, I, I come over, but it's a little kind of a long drive. Um, let's talk about this new book that you've just released, which is called The Ultimate You which sort of is piggybacking on what we've just been talking about. And it's, it is your newest book. I, I, you, this is, I believe your sixth book. And uh, I, I noted on my, on my blog, for those that are listening, I have listed all of the other books that um, you've also written. Thank which is you. Pretty, pretty darn remarkable. So let's talk about this book. The ultimate you, and I, I, I probably was not hard to come up with the title, but um, let's tell tell us a little bit about this this book and, and and why you decided to write it. This book is a reclamation of myself. It is the process and the journey and the quest that I've been on to heal myself of the shame I was feeling about not being enough to reclaim my self-esteem, my emotionality. So many people deny their emotions. So it's about a celebration of how I reclaimed my, all of my emotions because as humans, we are emotional beings and it is the journey of how I dumped the mask I was wearing of being the hero model human being and became someone who could express vulnerability and need and who could go to emotionally intimate spaces with people. That journey has been my journey these years. And so this book is me doing my best to capture how I did that for myself and how we help our clients all around the world do the same thing now. And it is a joy. This book is a joy to have written. It is a joy for the clients that read it and our beautiful members who read it. It is a pathway to our inner selves. So many people say, you know, gurus say to us all the time, look within for the answers. The answers are within. I looked within, Masha, nothing was there. I looked within and it was bleak and it was ugly and it was scary and there was nothing I found within me that supported me. So this book is for anybody who has felt the same way. 
that when they're told to look within, it is not comforting. How do we make looking within, how do we make our inner world beautiful, graceful, loving, filled with warmth, spontaneity, the capacity for intimacy, the capacity for expression without shame? How do we do that? Don't tell me look within. Show me how to look within. So this book is how do we do that one step at a time in a way that is taking into account that we've been hurt, that we feel shame, that for some of us it's difficult to admit it. How can we do it knowing that nothing we've done before has worked, that winning on the outside doesn't do it, having the bank account didn't do it, having the family and the picket fence didn't do it. I'm taking care of business the way I was trained to do and being successful, I'm trying hard, I'm working hard, and I still don't feel I'm enough, this book is for that person. It's to help them feel enough. Wow. And live your awesome life. I like that, which yes. is underneath the, the title. That's really, yes. it's, pretty, it's, it's pretty cool. You know, that's really interesting because I think people that would say, well, you know, you have to kind of look within. I think they mean well. And perhaps if you've never been desperate, that might surface to sound like, well, you know, you just need to look with, within. You know, what 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 did you see when, when, when your family? How did you, how did your parents deal with with whatever? But in reality, now I've looked. Now what? How? Mm-hmm. What am I supposed to do next? There I am. There's the mirror. Hello. There. Okay. Now what? How do you do it? How do you live a purposeful life? First of all, do you think it's important? Because if you don't think your life has much purpose, why would you want to know how to do that? So you better Mm. understand that we we all live, hopefully, with with the intention and goal of living a purposeful life. And I don't know that maybe that self-talk on self-love, I don't know. What do you think? Does does self-love get in the way of that sometimes? I think most people, if they become, when they become aware of this, realize they, most people I meet, I should say, okay. think they're doing okay and try and convince themselves they're doing okay. And then when they get time to reflect on it, realize they're trying to outrun, not feeling okay inside, not feeling they're filled up inside. And that's not everyone. And it's a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. There are plenty of people who are just getting on with it. They're good selves. They feel great. They feel fulfilled. Rock on. I, I wish that had been me. But for most people, there is a feeling when they pause their busyness and filling their day with things to do and getting on social media and all the other things we get addicted to, that if they pause that, they're a little lost. So... And I think that resonates with more people than it doesn't. That's been my experience. Coaches become coaches, I believe, to reclaim that which was lost when they were growing up. I believe most coaches, therapists, psychologists are healing their wounds through this constant immersion in the journey to themselves. That's been my experience. And it's a good reason why coaches have coaches, therapists have therapists, and psychologists have psychologists to supervise and guide because it is all a reflection of ourselves. How do I have my outside world reflect kindly on my inside world rather than trying to have my outside world help me escape from my inside world? Wow. 
That's very powerful. That that would you just that that message that you just said was significant. Would you would you repeat that? I, I I'm actually going to write that down. I, I it's it's our in, our inside world and our outside world. Would you just would you mind yeah. just saying that again? Sure, I'll do my best. I believe what I said because okay. in the moment with you, uh, <laughs> most people are living as if their outside world will help them escape from the inside world. We've got to learn to live so our outside world is a reflection of the grace in our inside world. Most of us are staying yeah. so busy so we don't have to look within. Most of us fill our days with, I've got so much to do with the kids, and I'm not saying people aren't busy with their kids, but the moment anyone puts themselves last on their to-do list for whatever reason, I know, and I think they know, in moments of truth, that they're escaping their inner world because they don't know how to trust it to serve them and be kind to them. So it's easier to stay in the outside world, to stay busy, to stay distracted, to stay addicted to social media, to, to keep busy on the outside is the perfect distraction from the hurt we feel on the inside. So this book, Ultimate You, is, well, how can I heal the hurt on the inside so I don't have to keep running on the outside so I could sit with myself and feel great and feel fulfilled? There was a study done many years ago They sat people in a room on their own and all they gave them was a buzzer that that initiated an an electric shock to themselves. More than 70% of the people would rather give themselves a shock to distract themselves from being alone than sit quietly alone for 15 minutes. Whoa. Yeah. Isn't that something? And some people... Some people repeatedly shocked themselves because the pain of being alone was too much. They'd rather distract themselves with pain. I, I find that just so, I feel this compassion when I hear that. I think it's so vital that we learn to have this journey when I hear that because that isn't necessary. We don't have to live like that. No one has to feel that way. Just no one's shown how to go within and feel amazing. Wow. So... Um, you, yeah, I some like I, I I don't always get blah, blah 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 with my with my mouth like this, but I would think what you're saying <laughs> is just so 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 remarkable, and obviously you live this life, and that's what makes you so authentic, and that's why you've written your books, and that's why people trust you, and that's why people have been inspired by you, and that's why you speak all over the world because I believe, like you said, you're in 81 countries. That that's that's pretty remarkable. Um, when you suggest that people focus on their strengths and not their weaknesses, is that hard for people mm. that that you yes. see that can say, I, yes. I, but, "Well, I don't have any strengths." Wait a minute. Yes, Let's talk so about hard. that. That is so hard in the beginning. That's not the first step. <laughs> that's that's advanced and. Uh, I definitely, I think that's advanced. Focus on your strengths. Focus on the positive. No, I feel, I feel that my darkness is my reality and you telling me to focus on my strengths is just making me feel bad that I don't feel I have strength. So I, I don't say that to people starting the journey. We'll get there. We will build up to the strengths. Let's start with knowing that we live our lives on three levels. There is the core of us, 
and I'll speak to that in a moment. There's the crud of us, the uglies, and then there's the crust of us, the outside world, the mask, the guardian that we present to the world. At our core, when we're born, we are love. We don't know not to be. We are warmth. We wouldn't know not to be. We don't give anyone the cold shoulder when we're a baby. We don't know what that means. We are spontaneity. We don't understand self-consciousness. We don't understand shame. We are taught these things. So in the beginning, we are love, emotionality, warmth, spontaneity, unselfconsciousness, adventurous. We are the world. We don't understand the separation between self and the world. We are literally incapable of it. Anything that reflects to us, we believe is us. No conscious thought, simple feeling. Then we begin to learn shame. We begin to learn self-consciousness. We're taught through conditioning, and this isn't me blaming parents. We are all responsible for our adult selves, but this is what happens. And we begin to internalize when we're shamed or rejected or we have a feeling of abandonment, or we feel that our big people aren't there for us. And that forms this crud, which is the negative self-talk that most of us believe is real. And we forget the core, Marsha. We forget who we were and who we truly are at our core. And we start living that we believe we're the crud. Now, we can't go out into the public with crud on display. The uglies have to be well hidden behind what I call the guardian, which is the mask we wear and present to the world. So we're going out into the world exhausted, presenting this mask of how we're the hero or the, the, the good girl or the robot or the person who's switched on and doesn't have any problems or the person who will always disagree. We go out with this mask and we think that's reality. We forget. We forget who we were at our core because we have a full-time job now and that is guiding anyone from seeing the uglies. Now, we're mm-hmm. going to start with that let's start with that conversation who is your guardian and how's it doing giving you a happy life because i know it's not and how are you going living your life pretending that the crud is real and ignoring you at your core and how are you going making anybody happy including yourself acting like this mask you're wearing will ever be your true ultimate self Isn't it really preventing you being your true self? And let's go further if I was your coach and I'll say this. Isn't your guardian setting your goals for you right now? You set the goal for the promotion. Is that really you? Or is that that the core of you speaking? Or is that you just thinking that'll get you further away from the uglies you think is reality? And every single time, every single time, the client realizes they've been coming from a place of trying to hide How many people do you know who say, I feel like I'm a fraud. I don't feel like I'm being myself. I I want to be myself, but I don't think it'll be accepted. This is why. Because we forget our core. We think of being ourself is this ugly stuff. And we forget that the core is our real self. And we don't know how to get back there. So let's start there. Let's get back to core. Let's take away the mask. Let's rewrite the programming around the uglies or that crud so that it serves you and then slowly the core will begin to take over that's the journey I believe we need to have and it's not that easy it's so much easier saying stay busy stay successful keep working hard do everything for your kids pour everything into your family don't do anything for yourself that's easier because that's what everyone's addicted to doing Mm -hmm. this journey 
it's a remarkable journey, but if it was easier, it would be easier to sell, but it is the most important journey any of us will take in a lifetime. In a lifetime. It's the most important journey we'll ever take. Tell me what the crust means. Yeah, love to. Thank you. So the crust is the guardian or the mask we wear. So we're trained as children to play a role that our family believes, our family system believes we need to maintain the family system. So I was raised as the hero. Uh, my sister was raised as the mascot. We have other people would be raised as the surrogate parents that had to raise the younger children. Some are raised to be the martyr. Some are raised to be the good girl. Some are raised to be the invisible child, so never the bother. That's often one of the younger children. Some are raised to be the star, so they've got to be the star athlete and or they must be a doctor or they must because by fulfilling those roles and living those roles out, we make the family look the way we think we need to be looked. Some of the saddest roles we're taught is some are taught to be the surrogate wife or husband, so they replace the spouse and one of the, the father or the mother will tell them all their personal stories and their personal problems. It's too much for a child. And that child will grow up never knowing how to reclaim themselves until they learn it. So whatever it is, these roles we learn to play, we take them into adulthood until we don't, until we learn. And we present them to the world as if they're really us. And that hides that mask we present. And I was the hero. I was the straight A student. I was never going to let the mm. family look bad. I made the family look amazing, Masha. I was always could be put out there as the example of excellence. See, we can't be that bad as a family. Look how well Sharon's doing. And then hmm. after a while of the exhaustion of that, we start believing that's true. And that's why so many people feel they're not fulfilling them, feeling fulfilled because they're playing out what the mask needs them to do rather than what they need to do. So that's the crust on the outside that so many people lead with and live with. Wow. Oh, you know, this is, I can see why you command a stage. I, I, I so wish Thank that you. this was a, a video show because you, you can feel your energy. I can feel your energy. Anybody listening can feel your energy, which kind of takes me over to some of the other things that you do, which is your podcast, which is really, it's, it's really cool. I I love your podcast and it's called Perspectives and I think that and I will I've also um I will I will link that in the blog as well but people can just subscribe and then they can watch you they can physically see you doing what you do and if everyone listening just took a bit just a little bit away just an awareness away of what you've said imagine it's it's that ripple it's that ripple in time where it's like you know she just gave me a visualization of a mask people think they know me i present myself like this but you you really don't know my core i'm trying to get back there because clearly that's like you said that's how we were born that's mm -hmm. when we knew the love and what would be wrong with going back 
to that and taking care of our own self-care techniques and rituals. Do you do you personally are you a are you a ritual person? Are there, like do you practice meditation and yoga and some of these techniques for yourself personally? I have many self-care techniques uh, and beyond the physicality. So is meditation and Pilates when I'm back mm-hmm. home, which I love. And I go to the gym all mm-hmm. the time and I walk every day. And mm-hmm. I have many rituals around my education. So I'm a lifelong learner. So every day I'll learn something. If I have time, it'll be to study a podcast or I'll start reading a book. I'll always have book- I have piles of books in my home, my library is bigger than some bookstores. I just, I devour knowledge. One of my core values is wisdom. I have rituals around self-care that extend to being kind to myself and reminding myself because I'm naturally an anxious person. And so firstly, it's awareness. I'm aware that I have a natural anxiety. Second is acceptance. Instead of trying to reject it or judge it or shame myself about it, which I did for so long, I have a ritual around accepting it. I am naturally a little highly strung. <laughs> I realize that. And then the activation part for me is breathing it in and noticing what else I'm feeling. Because with the anxiety, I'm also feeling, for example, joy or comfort or excitement or anticipation. And so breathing in is a huge part of my ritual, metaphorically and literally, that I am naturally going to be wired. That is who I am. I'm 54. I'm not fighting it. I'm just not. And I'm tired of being told to chill out or you don't have to be anxious. Actually, I'm just going to be the way I'm going to be. That's awareness and acceptance. And good on me. I accept it. I embrace it. It's part of who I am. Everybody in my inner circle, I have eight people in my inner circle. They, we we're, we're all know each other well enough to know we don't need to change each other. And then the activation piece is, Okay, given that, where else can you direct yourself? So I'm constantly managing myself with a lot of rituals around that. I have rituals around my bathing and my body care. There was so many, anything you ritualize is going to become a habit. Whatever is a habit becomes a standard. Whatever becomes a standard becomes your life. And so in every arena of my life, from finances to personal care, I have rituals of investment. And so the investments over the years are building up and building up and building up because I just take care of business every day. Wow. I'm I'm a ritual person too. I grew up in a home with rituals. My husband Mm -hmm. was an engineer. Engineers are ritual. This is when you eat. This is what you do. This is how it works. Uh, uh, For some people... That works for me personally. That was comforting because I knew the expectation. I knew what what to expect, and mm-hmm. um, I liked that. Now I will. I had. I said to somebody. I said I have to. It just looked at me like I was crazy. I said I have to plan for spontaneity. It's like mm. what? And I said no. Mm. I really do because I I have a very busy full life and consequently I have to be able to plan for when on a Thursday I can open that day up and I can let happen what can happen I cannot be spontaneous on Monday 
I'm sorry. Yes, I got my walk in at 5.15 this morning when it was really dark out. So I did do that. But as far as what I can do in the middle of my day, no, I, I can't do that. But I, I have comfort, and maybe, maybe you do as well in, in my rituals. It, um, I, that doesn't mean that I can't uh, add to my rituals, which I certainly have with, with yoga and with breathing, just like what you said. You know, I, I think when I, I talk, I've t- been talking so much about yoga over this last few months, and it means different things to different people. It, it doesn't have to just be poses and flow and all of these contortions to get your body into, you know, into um, a good physical condition. Not that that's not important because it is, especially the older we get. But if you've never learned the technique of breathing, because I sit on the anxiety meter too. I'm over at 9 and 10. And when I recognize that about myself, I realize I need to take a breath. Don't tell me to chill out because that doesn't mean anything to me. Just, I don't need you to tell me that. Marsha, you know now for yourself that by taking a deep breath, holding it, releasing it, no judgment, that no judgment part, oh my gosh, if, imagine if everyone that walked around that we meet for the rest of this day did not judge their behavior. Wouldn't that be something? And didn't judge how they felt. That's the key. If we can accept all of our emotions, we become whole. It's the rejection of that anxiety or the rejection of sadness. It's we never, if we don't complete the emotion, we don't become who we are. I just run a training here in New York all weekend. It's all we worked on for the weekend. Have your emotion. Embrace it. Accept it. Be it, all of it, right now to completion, and I'll be present with you. And this one woman cried for 15 minutes, and no one said, they're there, or you'll be okay, or it'll be okay. No, 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 don't reassure her. Let her have her feelings fully. She came out the other side, and she was being coached on intimacy and being close to people, and she wouldn't even lean towards people. By the end of 45 minutes, she was running around the room hugging strangers with joy simply because she could feel what she could feel without shame or judgment. It's such a gift Mm -hmm. we can give ourselves. And the other thing I'd say, you said earlier that you plan spontaneity. I would say you experience spontaneity in these conversations we have because during this it's been a dance and you've allowed it to go where it needed to go. You've let it be the flow I'd say you have spontaneity in your moments. Oh, you know something? That's that's funny, Sharon, because others have said that to me as well. Um, and I suppose I should just embrace that as well. Um, I Nothing fills me more than a wonderful conversation. It, the, mm. This my show, Born to Talk, is is who I am. And I, I love to be able to explore the stories of my guests because it's their opportunity to talk. If I was just silent, and I did pretty good not interrupting today, um, <laughs> then, you know, it would be an interview. And for me personally, for me personally, I don't think of my shows as interviews. 
uh, we're, you're on a phone, I'm on a phone, and while sure there are people listening to us all over the world, because I do have people, I had a clairvoyant on my show from Australia, she was just so fabulous, I, I, I have met some remarkable people, and the power of of the internet today and how people can learn and how people, if they choose, can can have a fulfilling life if they choose. They have to want to. Um, mm-hmm. is, is the beauty of what you do, and you do it so with such um, grace and genuineness that that's why people you're like a magnet. That's what I would say about you. It's like, well, I want to. I want to. I want to touch that. I want that energy. I, I want to get more of that. And I bet a lot of people, after after hearing you speak, do decide. Not only do I want to, perhaps do some healing of myself, but I believe that now I can go out and I can help others because I am empathetic, and I can help. And that's just another benefit. It's. It's just beautiful, and I don't know what you do. You mentioned that you go to the gym, you you do get your exercise mm. on, and so you know that's 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 wonderful. How how much longer are you going to be in the states before you get to go home? Thank you for your kind words. We're going to be in, so it's I think it's Monday today. We're going to be in New York till Friday. Fly to LA. We're going to meet people in LA. We've got a big event on the weekend in LA. Then on the Monday, fly to London for a week, and then we've got a big event in London, and then we fly home the following Monday. So I think October the 4th, we fly home. Then we're going home to do Sydney, Melbourne, Singapore, and Auckland. Okay. (laughs) Well, it sounds (laughs) like you have a productive life. I learned from a millennial not to say the word busy. She said busy Mm doesn't suggest that you're accomplishing anything people can be busy doing nothing she said to me this is a 20 year old giving me this guidance to me when people I don't use that word busy I say I'm productive because I am productive in what I'm doing and clearly you are very productive in what you're doing and this has just been a privilege and I have definitely linked on. I, I will I will make sure that everything is hyperlinked on my blog, so that people can receive the information at, at their convenience. You are very generous with what you offer and the tips that you offer, and I just want to thank you so so much for spending this hour with me and starting my Monday off on such a positive note, Sharon. It's just it's been beautiful. Thank you. I really appreciate you having me. Uh, if you're in New York this Wednesday, I'm going to be at Barnes & Noble doing a book signing. I'd love to meet you and hug you. That would be wonderful. And and then when you're in L.A., where could I hug you? Where, where will I be hugging you in L.A.? Oh, in L.A., you'll be hugging, uh-huh. hugging me at the Beverly Hills. I think the, the hotel was a flamingo. Oh, yes. Okay. Well, I'll have to, I'll have to remember you're in town, but I just want to, I want to, I want, it's it's five o'clock your house or your time right now, a little after. I want to be able to allow you to get on with your day, but I want to thank you for the blessings that you've brought to this show. And uh, I, this is not, I'll see you later. This is until next time. I believe that there will be a next time. 
So Sharon, thank, thank you. you You're so, so kind. very, very this much. This time went so fast. I'm so grateful. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. My, thank you. And I'm going to let everybody hear my outgoing music because we just don't hang up around here. Have a great week, everybody, and bye for now. <laughs>